Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let us get started. Horrible situation in Atlanta the other day you have some psychotic 21 year old who kills eight people including six Asian women at three spas in the um, Atlanta area these these are massage parlors I, I don't want to get into victim blaming or victim shaming or anything like that so you, you don't you don't know exactly what was going on at these different quote unquote spas massage massage parlors or whatever but you have this guy who goes in he he ends up shooting eight people six of whom like I say are um uh, of Asian descent his story and apparently he unlike what happens a lot of times when you have these people who are responsible for the mass murders they kill themselves that this guy this guy doesn't and he he sits and he, he talks to the uh, authorities and his story is that he had a quote unquote sexual addiction and saw the spas as an outlet for something that he shouldn't be doing um, the sheriff's department that's investigating this says the guy said he was attempting to take out that temptation. All but one of the victims were women. Um, so there was one guy that was in this situation. Okay. So now, of course, the, the operative fact, though, is, you know, six of the eight victims were Asian women. So immediately there is this question about is, is this a hate crime that's there, despite the fact that there doesn't appear to be any evidence indicating that it was a hate crime per se. He says he was killing massage. It was like his sexual addiction, which, by the way, isn't an excuse or anything like that. Nobody's trying to do it. But the question is, you know, what is the motivation? Well, immediately... You have a number of Democrats that, that seize on this. And here's the headline in the Washington Post. Democrats link Atlanta massacre to anti-Asian rhetoric during the pandemic. As word spread Tuesday night that a white man had gunned down six women of Asian descent at three spas in the Atlantic area. Atlanta area. Representative Grace Meng of New York tweeted out the names of every Republican House member who voted nay on her resolution to curb anti-Asian hate crimes. There is blood on their hands, she wrote on Twitter. Um, Let's see. The rhetoric the legislation tried to squelch, she says, contributes to these sort of violent actions. You know, and then it goes on and on, and it talks about how there's been a rise in crimes against Asian Americans, and it links it to Donald Trump and some of his rhetoric during the election election calling the the virus COVID-19, referring to it as the China virus and things like that. All right. Now, I think you can have a fair discussion about whether or not calling COVID-19, calling coronavirus the the China virus is, is just way over the top and inappropriate. I don't think there's any question that for anybody who tries to say, hey, we we want to hold Asian Americans responsible for COVID-19, that's just simply stupid. Okay, there's just that's just simply absolutely stupid. And if you've got people that are using that as an excuse to, uh, again, belittle Asian Americans or whatever, that's you can't even explain or justify that. But but this is the next step. This is saying, okay, we have a guy who killed a whole bunch of people, including six Asian women. 
And we are now going to say it was the rhetoric that you had during this election, and and this is kind of Trump's fault for this, when there's absolutely no evidence to support that. I think that the, the biggest thing that's coming out of this is that the guy the guy is a psycho. There's just no question about it, and he showed up at the spas or massage parlors or or whatever. All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, is it fair? To try to link, I don't know, Donald Trump and the reference to the China virus to what this psycho did on Tuesday with regard to his murders of people, the murdering of people who are working at these spas. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess my my answer to this is no. And what bothers me about this is we, we always seem, when we get this rhetoric, we have these horrible things, we always seem to carry this to the, the next Step Again, if you want to argue that crimes, hate crimes against Asian Americans are up and you want to try to figure out, okay, is that possibly due to the rhetoric, et cetera, that's a fair conversation to have. All right. And and maybe the numbers suggest that maybe they don't. But that's a fair conversation to have. But when you have this horrible mass killing like this and without any evidence at all to back it up and candidly with. Um, evidence to the contrary based on the fact that the killer is explaining what his motivation is. Is it fair to say, okay, this is Trump's fault, or, or this is the climate that was created by people who refer to things as the China virus? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's a joke to try to link Donald Trump to these killings. For all his faults, this is not one of them. And yet this Republic, this Democratic Congresswoman in the Washington Post, here's what she says. Asian Americans, including people like me who are born and raised here, we've always been made to feel like we're foreigners and not true Americans. Okay, that's fine. There's already a stigma about Asian Americans. And if you add into the fact that a president with worldwide platform who has blamed us for the coronavirus, I would say that laid a foundation for what happened Tuesday. Okay, on what evidence do you base that when you have the killer, in this case, who has stated what his motivation was? I mean, look, I... I understand Donald Trump has a lot of faults. Believe me, I I get it. We talked about that during the election season. We've talked about it for the last four years. Some of you object to the term China virus. Other people are texting me saying there's nothing wrong with this. It's not any different than the the Spanish flu. Uh, Even without getting into that, the question is when you have a crazy killer who goes off and does this without any evidence at all linking it to race, when you play this card, isn't this a situation where you, you really just kind of demean all the legitimate beefs that you might have about problems with racism? 855-616-1620. Jerry in West Dallas. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. There's no there's no direct evidence to link Donald Trump with with the uh, these killings. Uh, you know, I'm, I mean, sure, he had, you know, the, with the China virus comments and all that stuff, but there's just no, even... There's just no direct evidence, and and even the, the the gentleman admitted, or the guy admitted, you know, what his motivations were, and you know, it just seemed like he was a frequent customer of, the, of these uh, of these establishments, and uh, he just said, "Well, I'm just going to keep going," you know. I, I was just going on the run and find whatever places I can, and 
you yes. know, keep going. <laughs> well, well, no, right. Thank, no, thanks for. Well, I mean, again, I, you don't you don't know if he patronized these places. You don't know yet if if he if he knew the people he shot. But clearly, this this was a guy who was crazy, and this was a guy who was acting out in a psychotic sort of fashion. And the, I, to to link this to the rhetoric of Donald Trump. I just, or maybe he heard this referred to as China virus and decided to lash out in that way. Now, I, I don't, I don't know that that's the case. Maybe it, maybe it will turn out somewhere down the line that there was some sort of deep-seated racial animus that's going on here. But it certainly doesn't appear that way at this point in time. And I guess the fact that you have people who are so quick to jump on this and say, oh, this is what it has to be in an effort to score cheap political points, I, I think is is just crazy. You know, and we, we've had other, ex- and unfair, I, we, we had other examples of that. Remember a, a while back there was the, the, the shooting at the gay nightclub, and, and immediately that was portrayed as, okay, well, this is this is, this is an all an example of, you know, somebody who, who clearly must have been homophobic, and the actual truth turned out to be much more complex than that, that entire thing. And look, and I, I understand that there's maybe... Maybe there are people out there who are engaging in, you know, hate crimes against Asians and Asian Americans, and and that that's that needs to be addressed. There's no question about that. But this idea that okay, now we have this horrible thing that's happened, and you have a number of the victims who are Asian or Asian Americans, and, and we have to automatically assume that this was due to the rhetoric when there's no evidence to suggest that. Boy, I mean, that's that's what I think the trouble is, and that's what I think the scary thing is. Jeff, I wouldn't lay it all on Trump, but I think it helped. Um, we had the same thing after 9-11 with attacks on Muslims. Well, okay, you, you people might say that, and you might think it, and if you hate Donald Trump, I understand that there is this tendency to want to attribute all the ills of the world to him, but, but don't you need at least some sort of evidence that suggests that? And all I'm saying right now is there is absolutely no evidence. Jeff, it's not Trump's fault. The guy was a psychopath, as you stated. Um, I, however, Trump and his name-calling China virus and the way he spoke about groups of people, um, et cetera, et cetera, did nothing to calm the nation. And again, that that might be fair. You might want to be fair to criticize Trump for, for the rhetoric that he used and some of the ways that he referred to people, including you know other Republicans and the stuff he said about, um, uh, for example, John McCain. I get it. That's all fair. It's fair criticism. No issue with that at all. But to try to say, okay, without any evidence at all, this has got to be the situation. This is the problem. This is because of this. I just, I flat out don't buy it. And again, it minimizes the very, very real impact of hate crimes when when they are committed, when you try to say, okay, this has got to be a hate crime without any sort of evidence. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, Brewers fans, our very own Greg Matzik has received a non-roster invite to spring training. He won't be playing for the team, of course, but join him for the ride. He has an all-access look inside Brewers spring training. Join us all next week during your favorite WTMJ shows. It's Greg Matzik's spring training trip, March 22nd through March 26th, sponsored by Trex, the number one name in outdoor living. All right. 
Summerfest announces today. Now, Summerfest, you know, earlier this week announced just just huge losses, just huge financial losses from last year after Summerfest obviously got canceled. Summerfest wants to get they've put they, they wanted to go in June and early July. They pushed it back to September. They are announcing that they're they're moving ahead with plans that they're going to be able to run in September. The, the story is that they have holds on the dates going into September. A lot of their previously announced amphitheater shows are moving to the new dates. They're just waiting for the proper time to announce tickets. They say everything is moving along great, which to me is absolutely great news. I, I put it in context, though, because earlier this week, the governor of the state of Wisconsin gave an interview with Wisconsin's Health News where he said, well, I, maybe fans can go back to Brewers games by the end of the summer as far as state fair and other events. Well, they're going to have to figure out, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but just kind of, you know, what, what the new normal is and follow the science, you know, post-COVID, which tells me that, that Governor Evers is extremely reluctant to open up the state to, I don't know, a state fair event where you might have a million people coming over an 11 or 12-day period. Summerfest, in order for it to function needs a critical mass. You can't run Summerfest um, with a limit of, of half of the people. That the economics just don't support it because they got to pay the bands, the vendors pay them money. You, you need X amount of people that are willing to go in order to pull this off. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. No pun intended, but I want to take your temperature. The, the way it stands now, Unless there is some marked turn for the worse that I do not anticipate, and I don't think a lot of the public health experts anticipate, I have no problem at all. I will have no problem at all going to State Fair in August or going to State Fair or going to Summerfest in in September. By that time, you're going to have a large chunk of the population vaccinated. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily have herd immunity because, I mean, herd immunity requires like 80% vaccinations. I don't think I don't think 80% of the population is going to voluntarily get vaccinations. But those people who are most vulnerable will have had vaccinations. Those people who want vaccinations will have had vaccinations. So if other people want to go around and they want to take the risk, that, that that's fine. But that's the reality because COVID's not going to go away. But I will have no hesitation going unless there's something new that comes on the horizon that we have not anticipated. I'm going to have no trouble going to baseball games. I'm going to have no trouble going to State Fair. And I'm certainly not going to have any trouble going to Summerfest. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, I'd like someone to tell me when this insanity all ends. I feel everyone was on board last summer to flatten the curve. It's been flattened. Um, There are states that have been opened as well as schools, and they're having no problems at all. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, completely. Jeff, the state fair need the governor's approval to go ahead with the fair this year? Well, yeah, I mean, I think they, they do. The governor could put in, I don't know if, if, if it needs specifically the governor's approval to occur, but the governor, I think, could 
put limits on the size of the crowds that would be allowed. And the truth of the matter is, if if you limit the crowd too much, State Fair just doesn't become viable. That's just the the, the reality of it, because like I say, you need a critical mass of people. Jeff, I would go to State Fair or Summerfest if they were happening next week. You know what? I I would go as well. Mike on the northwest side says, I'm going 100%. Let's talk to Jeff. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I would have no problem going Brewers games, uh, Summerfest, State Fair. Again, um, I don't think COVID is ever going to completely go away. And if there's people that are concerned, then they should just not attend. But it shouldn't... uh, Amper the rest of us, or those festivals shouldn't be closed out. That's my take. No, you know, and, and you're right. See, COVID isn't going to go away. There, there's always going to be people who come down with the virus. That that's just kind of the reality of it. The the whole issue, like where the texture was saying, Jeff, was it's always been let's flatten the curve. Let's make sure that the let's make sure we protected the most vulnerable. Let's make sure that the hospital system isn't overwhelmed. Well we're we're at that point now. The curve has been flattened. Yes People still come down with COVID. Well, people are going to be coming down with COVID. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do about it. Yet you can get vaccinated. That protects you. If somebody decides that they're not going to get vaccinated, some otherwise healthy 32-year-old guy or gal decides they're not going to get vaccinated, they go to Summerfest, they go to State Fair, and they're exposed to somebody else who might have COVID, well, and then they get sick, that's on them. That's on them. But the point of the matter is that the numbers are such that you're not seeing the system is overwhelmed. You know, we've now closed down that alternative care facility that we put up at State Fair, or at least it's 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 been empty since the last person left on Christmas Eve. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. And I think what you're seeing happen now is even the people that still get it. By and large, we've done a good job of taking those people who are most vulnerable and making sure that they've got the vaccinations, making sure that they are protected. So is is it possible that somebody's going to get it? Yes, it's possible that they're going to get it. You know, hopefully if they get it, they will be relatively asymptomatic or they won't be too sick. Is it possible there's still going to be somebody that might die from it moving forward? Yeah, unfortunately, that is the reality. But that's the reality of the world we live in. And I think it's time to recognize that sooner rather than later, we need to get back to normal. And once vaccines are available to everybody, it seems to me there's almost no reason not to justify letting us get back to normal. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged and investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st. That's two weeks from yesterday, 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World with our very own Steve Scafidi. This free webinar is open to all fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. To find out more, please visit the features page at W tmj.com and sign up today all right in many cases public schools and private schools have found ways to stay open let let's let's start with the basic premise that virtual learning is not as good as in-person learning now, some people, I've, I've described it as a disaster for many students, and, and I get some blowback. Oh, it's not that bad, and my kid's doing okay. Well, maybe your child is, but the, the truth is, it's for 
the majority of kids, virtual learning has not been a positive. You know, I was just looking at a story the other day um, about in, in almost all of the 60 school districts that responded to the, this survey that they did for the paper responded that more high school students failed a class last fall than in recent years, and most blame the same factor online online learning. Students' first semester grades offer the earliest hard evidence of the toll the pandemic has taken on learning. So again, we can argue how bad it's been, but I think it's been pretty bad. And I think most parents would agree that it's been pretty bad, and most kids would agree that it's been pretty bad. Now, in in many urban school districts, including MPS, the, the default position was We cannot safely bring people back, bring kids back to the classroom. Part of this was fueled by objections that the powerful teachers union had. Well, we don't want our teachers in the classroom. We think that this is going to be unsafe. Now, the Center for Disease Control came out and said, no, as long as you can maintain appropriate distancing, it it, it should be safe. And we think we can have in-person learning. But nevertheless, a lot of the teachers unions have sort of fought back on that. The CDC recently has just even changed its guidelines. They've said, we used to say you needed to have six feet of separation. Now, three feet of separation is fine, which tells me three feet of separation would have been fine all along. So you, you, you have that. Now there's new data out. In Florida, in Florida, they reopened all schools. I mean, here's the deal. Florida was one of the earliest states to resume in-person instruction. They did it in August, following an executive order by the education commissioner that directed districts to provide families the option of classroom learning five days a week or risk-lose funding. Now, this mandate triggered an outcry among some teachers and some parents who considered it risky. They filed lawsuits to try to stop it. It failed. All right. So Florida has been open to in-person learning since last fall. All right. So so what's happened? Well, in the seven months since, Florida schools have avoided major outbreaks of COVID-19, and they've maintained case rates lower than those in the wider community. 80% of students in Florida are now attending schools in person, either full-time or part-time. So the example is by saying, no, we're going to get those kids back in the classroom. What they found is, at least in the state of Florida, it did not turn into a quote-unquote super spreader event. Now, I know in our area, there have been Various school districts, some of which opened up five days a week full-time since last fall. Others opened up to a hybrid sort of learning thing, in-person two days and then maybe virtual two days and then closed for one day to clean up stuff. But but while there have been arguably some some hiccups and and I'll say that there there's been situations where schools opened up and then there was uh there was mild exposure and so they had to close down a couple of days but as a general rule the schools that have been open have not have not turned into super spreader events getting the entire community sick 855-616-1620 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line can we now acknowledge that by not opening up the schools to in-person learning last fall, we have made a huge mistake. That the concerns about super spreading and stuff just were unreasonable fears. In real, in the real world, with the schools that did it, um, they did not have 
any sort of major problems, which isn't to say that, again, you might have had to close down for a day or two, that you haven't had widespread infections of large numbers of teachers, the school have been open. Can we recognize now, once and for all, that we made a mistake by not giving the option or requiring schools to provide in-person learning to kids back in the fall, especially given all the damage that we have done to children by, in some cases, in urban school districts, and MPS is a great example of that, arguably the kids who need the instruction the most, they've been out of school for essentially a year. And, and it's going to be more than that. They're saying maybe they'll bring them back at the end of April. Well, okay, the, the school year is pretty much over. You've lost pretty much a full year, given the educational damage we've done, given the psychological damage we've done to the kids, given the the lack of socialization that we've done, given that the kids have fallen so far behind. Can we acknowledge that we made a mistake? Can we acknowledge that we should have flora, followed examples, for example, like they did in Florida or like many school districts, particularly some of the more smaller school districts did. Can we at least acknowledge once and for all, we got it wrong? 855-616-1620. And then, doesn't that mean, if we acknowledge we got it wrong, doesn't that mean we've got to get the kids back in person five days a week as soon as possible, like yesterday? 855-616-1620. My answer would be, heck yes, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Look, the data is starting to come in. Remember, I've, we've been told for the last year, you got to follow the science. Well, the science now pretty clearly demonstrates that there was no reason to close the schools in September. Florida forced the schools, all the schools to open. And you know what? No significant problems at all. Meanwhile, here in Wisconsin and in other large urban districts across the country, the kids have been out of school for a year because the teachers were refusing to go back into the classrooms. And what's happened? The kids have fallen behind. There's all sorts of issues. Kids are failing schools. Can we acknowledge once and for all that we just flat out got it wrong? We overreacted and we should have been open from the beginning. Let's talk to Ryan and Slinger. Ryan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, great topic. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Um, I just want to acknowledge that uh, up here in Washington County, Slinger, uh, Slinger's got it done right. We started from day one. Um, our kids have been in school from the very first day uh, of school back in September. Uh, they did it right. Uh, we Our cases are very minimal. I mean very minimal. They sent out a tracker every day of how many uh, cases we have and a running total tracker uh, percentage and stuff. Um, so, we figured out how to do it up here, and I know some of the local, other local school districts up here are doing the same thing. Um, yeah. It's time to get kids back in school, and what? I couldn't be happier of our uh, our leadership up here in Swinger. Yeah, I think it's candidly, I, I think it's way past time to get uh, to get the, the schools open. And and right, and and, and again, they might like you're talking about the school districts. They monitor it, and there have been some school districts that opened up that that had what I would call hiccups or glitches. So you you close for a week, and and then you reopen again. But the commitment is we're going to be open, not closed. And you know, you know kudos to Slinger for doing that. Yeah, we we we've had cases. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we've never we've never closed down. Um, my kids have been uh, contact traced. Um, I had COVID uh, about a month ago, um, so we kept my kids uh, confined and away from me. Uh, we did what we had to do, 
and um, the school's doing what they have to do to keep school in session, yeah. and uh, their contact tracing and everything has been really great. So no, no, you, uh, it, it shows to, it could be done. No, thanks, thanks to call. Absolutely, and the kids aren't falling behind. Here's a text, Jeff. I'm an administrator of a religious private school in Sturdivant. We have been open since August 26th and have never had to close a classroom, and, uh, and in our... Um, Time here, we've only had two positive cases even affecting the schools. Closing schools or not reopening them was a huge mistake. The students at our school are healthy. If that helps years, if, if that helps years that they've never been and they're happy. I feel so sorry for others that have missed so much important education. Um, I believe that they're healthier than the kids have ever been. Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on WTMJ. You know, I haven't had a chance to listen to you in a while, and today's lineup is outstanding. Nice. And I waited for this one because I felt most qualified to opine. Um, we've been, like your other two uh, before me, have been back in school since the day one. We've had no serious issues. We've had no child issues. We we opened because we actually felt the evidence was compelling in the summer, and I'm actively involved in the school, so I feel fluent in my ability to talk right. about it. It was risky because we're in Dane County, and we were certainly concerned about being a target. But it worked, and it was successful. And at this point in time, there's really no, there's really no reason people should be holding back on this. It's yeah. it is very concerning. And if you look at the data and the evidence of how children are falling so far behind now, for those that are in school, it, it, this needs to be a front and center topic. We need to be talking about this every day until we get these kids back in school. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And thanks. And you're still it's meeting this resistance. I mean, look, look, look what we're dealing with. And thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, look what we're dealing with. The, the empirical evidence is starting to come out and say that even in urban school districts like in Florida, they reopen the schools. No problems. And, of course, there's the anecdotal evidence. We're hearing from all the smaller districts in Wisconsin that were open. They're saying no problems at all, no super spreader sort of stuff. The CDC is while they won't admit they were wrong. What they are now saying is our original guidance of having to separate from six feet, that that no longer is the case. You can do it with three feet, which means we were wrong when we said six feet. But but that's okay. The CDC has even been saying for months we're you know, teachers can go back in the classrooms, they can do it safely. Now I understand that you've got, you know, that the teachers groups that don't want to do that, that they you know, that the teachers unions are saying, Okay, we don't want to go into the classroom, you know, we'd rather stay at home and things like that. But but that's that's all well and good. There's a lot of people that have been working through this entire pandemic who would have probably rather stayed home but haven't been given that option. Jeff, you are asking for the impossible. No one will ever admit that they did anything wrong. I agree, though. Schools should have been open, and the teachers find, continue to find excuses for not reopening. Jeff, not only are kids missing out on academics, but all the social skills. Yeah, I notice that's true. Jeff, did we make a mistake closing the schools? Yes. Damage to our children has been worse than anything the virus would have done. But will the teachers union admit that they made a mistake? Heck no. No, I, I don't think that that's the the situation at all. Let's see. Um, Heather from West Bend. Jeff, my kids go to private uh, Christian schools in Washington County. They have been in person since the end of August and have vir- had virtually no COVID infections. We've had sports and extracurricular activities also. Outside of a few cases, no huge outbreaks. Any school districts that aren't in person should be held accountable. Um, yeah, that's there, – there, there's – well – Again, this is the thing. No, Jeff, absolutely not. 
We should not open schools. This was and still is a pandemic. We knew nothing of the severity of virus. Yes, we are approving. Better to be safe than sorry. Well, all right, here's my response to that. I thought we were supposed to follow the science. I mean, I, I thought that's what I've been told for a year. Follow the science. And the science says that there's no reason that you could not have reopened the schools, or at least that's what the data is suggesting now. There's no reason we couldn't have done it. Now, I understand you can't roll back the clock, and you can't say, okay, let's get all these kids from these urban school districts, let's get them in school in August. I understand you can't roll back the clock, but can we at least acknowledge moving forward that we overreacted, that the science, the statistics, the numbers, based on these various experiments and the other schools that have been open in person, the decision, the knee-jerk reaction to close the schools and keep the schools closed, that that was a mistake. I mean, can't we at least even acknowledge that? Maybe it was a mistake made in good faith. Look, I'm not calling for people's heads. I'm not saying this person should have been fired. But I am saying that knowing what we know now, follow the science, look at the CDC that is now acknowledging, if not that they were wrong, that their guidance has changed materially, that we overreacted. And maybe you can say, okay, it's legitimate to have overreacted. We don't know what we don't, we didn't know then what we know now. Fine. Based on what we know now, can't we say once and for all that we made the wrong decision back in August? And we're going to be spending the next couple years playing catch up for kids that have, you know, lost a huge, huge chunk of, of time. Um, and and I, I look at these numbers. It's just absolutely heartbreaking to me when you look at these numbers, you know, that you have more kids that are failing classes than ever before, and everybody agrees there's the reason for it. The reason for it is online learning, and I'm not see, or lack of online learning, and I'm not saying people aren't trying to do their best to make it work, but the reality is it's just not working for most of the kids. And I don't know how, how you catch up. I mean, that, that's that's just the reality. As we've talked about before, so much of, of education is, is it's a building block sort of thing. I mean, how do you how do you study how do you advance somebody to study calculus if, for example, they, they don't have fundamentals of, of geometry or algebra or something like that? It, it's a building block sort of thing. And if you've just been socially promoted or online learning promoted and you don't have this basis moving forward, and I'm using math as an example, but science is an example, you know, and any of the liberal arts are an example as well. If you don't have that, that base, if you if you haven't learned the stuff you're supposed to learn in freshman year of high school, well, then, you know, you, you, you advance and now you're in, you know, Algebra 2, but you don't know Algebra 1 or you're in French 2 and you don't really know French 1 that well. You are pretty much doomed to fail. And that is unfortunately the situation that, well-intentioned or not, we have put a lot of kids in. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spaulding. Yes, sir. Have you have you noticed, have you been getting more of, lately, more of the, the cell phone calls where where it's the, the situation of, oh, we... we there's a suspicious activity involving your social security number or your Amazon account. Have you been getting a lot of those lately? Uh, yes, tons and tons. I, 
me, me as well. I just it, I, okay. So I'm doing the show. I, I have my cell phone next to me, and I have it, it turned down. And I, most most of the people that call me know that I'm doing this thing called a radio show between noon and three. And so if, if I see a message from somebody that I know, it tells me that there's there's an emergency. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like red light stuff, red light stuff. But I, so I, I had during the last hour, I had three voicemails. All from that, they leave a voicemail, and it's all from the, the same sort of number. And this one is that metallic voice, and it kind of cuts in in the middle. But it's some suspicious. This is Amazon, some suspicious package, um, eleven hundred dollars. Here, call, contact this number, and you know we'll 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 get back to you. Which, and then the other day it was something about suspicious activity involving your Social Security account. But it's it's like constant almost that on any given day i get two or three of these and of course i never respond to them or anything but it's it's really I, you know that there's got to be people out there that do and they end up somehow getting built so you're getting a bunch of these as well yeah i'm just looking at my phone right now i have one two three four five six seven seven in the past three days okay and they're all i mean it, it's it's various sort of things like i'm saying mine was social security and mm-hmm. amazon but it's but it, it's that, that same thing. Here, call this number back right away. Then I got a couple saying, we're, if you don't do this, we're, and it's kind of a metallic voice, you know, there will be legal action. Well, okay, fine, you'll bring it on. I'm a recovering lawyer. I still have my <laughs> law license. I, I'd like to have this one here. But you're getting those as well. Yeah, and mine are also friendlier. It's a free vacation, call this number back, or your points on your credit card, you know, have reached X amount of points and you're eligible for this. So some of them are nicer as well. Some of them are nicer. So I haven't been getting the, I don't think I've been getting the nicer ones yet. It's been more like the, the threatening ones, and I don't respond to that. But I, 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 this one segment, our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me that I, for some reason I will go through cycles, and there will be periods of time where it'll go weeks, and I, I don't get any of those calls. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the, the dam has burst and I am flooded with them. And, and I don't want to say it's going off, you know, like every two minutes. But I got three of those calls with those that same voice message, three left in the last hour. You know, it's even more concerning, too. And, and we've been looking into this a bit in the newsroom is these numbers popping up as numbers you would recognize as well. So it will pop up as a Walgreens or as a doctor's office, but when you answer, right, it then, is not that. Right, so. yeah, then, then you're down that route. Mm-hmm. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm trying, and I, this is a legitimate question, because I, I, I don't know what the frequency of these is, but lately I've just been getting swamped by them, and it, the same thing was true with my wife you know we we went through a couple day period of time where it it's it seems like you know every second call my wife gets a lot of phone calls like every second call was you know one of these sort of calls again here call back and i guess what's troubling to me is that obviously there is a percentage of people out there hopefully it is a very small percentage of people but there is a percentage of people who do in fact you know, hit that number, do in fact call back. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, thanks to these calls, I've extended my car's warranty 100 times now. I, I just, <laughs> well, that, that's the one that's out there as well. But I, I am, if, I, I just, I wonder if there's something in the water or if it just happens to be my week in the barrel for this type of stuff. Now, obviously, you know, some free advice from a recovering attorney here is if you don't recognize the number 
um, th- this is just just don't call them back. <laughs> I mean, because um, it, it maybe it'll work out, but chances are that it is some sort of a scam call. And once you return that call, you're not going to be necessarily happy with what the results are. And uh, trust me, the IRS, for example, doesn't call you and tell you, hey, meet us in a parking lot and give us money. Trust me, that's not how the IRS works. That's not how the Social Security Administration works. They don't leave a metallic voice message telling you that your Social Security number has been plundered. 855-616-1620. Chris in Milwaukee. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? I, uh, this actually happened to me last week. I had a phone call from a number that, I mean, I somewhat recognized it. It was a 414 and then, you know, numbers that I would typically pick up for. But it was an, it said, you know, this is somebody from Apple. Please contact us back. Uh, there's been suspicious activity on your account. They called me 10 times in one hour. Yeah. Okay, that that's to the that, point where I to, that, that that's the sorry. call that's the call I'm getting. Except it's not Apple; it's Amazon. That's the exact call. There's yeah. some suspicious activity on your Amazon account, uh, your Amazon account. Something in Memphis, Tennessee, or whatever calls back. But that's the call. I, not Apple, but Amazon. Three times in the last hour, and it's like, no, sorry, not playing this game. But you've been getting the same one or yeah. a variation of it. I've I've been getting the same one, and it's like it, it is. It's literally like. Ten times in one hour to finally, I actually called them back and I screamed at them in not so nice terms. Stop calling me! I'm not giving you any information. And before they could say anything, they were they were already hung up. Right. Yeah. Thank, right. Exactly. Thank, thanks for calling. But and unfortunately, I mean, see, and this is the scary thing, Chris, that the, the reason people are doing this, and maybe it's with all these robocalls. Maybe I, I mean, I have no idea. Can you make a million? Can you make two million in the course of of, of an hour? I mean, I don't know, but. All you need is one or two or three people to panic. You go, oh, oh my God! There's a there's an eleven hundred ninety nine dollar charge on my Amazon account in Memphis, Tennessee. Here, I'm going to call this back, and and then you know to get whatever information they need. All you need, if you can make a million calls or a hundred thousand calls or whatever it is, if you can make these, you know, in an hour, all you need is two or three people to respond to them. And then I say it, it's off it's off to the races. Judy in Wabatosa. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Judy. We're getting a uh, a name that comes across, and it says Spam Risk, S-P-A-M-R-I-S-K. And we get that one constantly. And then they left a message today that uh, they needed uh, to come into the home and check to see uh, your energies, your <laughs> um, electric and gas. And we know it was a scam, but my husband called We Energy's customer service, and right. she said, they are not doing anything like that at all. Well, no, of course, right. <laughs> of, of, of course not. But again, once they get that information, man, that's a disaster. Can you imagine, Judy, if you guys had let one of these people into your home? What could have possibly happened well, with that? No. And, you know, you worry about other senior citizens who, you know, might feel afraid and worried that something's wrong with the gas or the yes. electric. Right. They play on that. Yes. No, Judy, so, th- th- thanks. No, that's that. No, thanks for your call. That, that's that's what's so outrageous about this, because most 
people are, are just going to recognize this for a scam and an annoyance. But but yeah, maybe you have some of the people who, for whatever reasons, are the most vulnerable. I'm putting that in quotation marks, and, and they they freak out. Oh my gosh, there's there's something wrong with my gas furnace. I I, I mean, I don't want to blow up here. I don't want to die of asphyxiation in the middle of the night. Yes, here here here, come on over and, and do this. Or or oh my God, there's there, there's some mysterious charge on my credit account, credit card. Well, the last thing I want is all of a sudden to find fifty thousand dollars in un and uh, credit card charges here. Yes, I, Amazon. Here's the number. I'm calling back. You know. Tell me what I can do to, to solve this thing. And my guess is if you would call them back, they'd say, well, okay, let's verify your credit card number. Can you give it to me? What what credit card do you use? Do you use Amex? Do you use Visa? Do you use MasterCard? You just discover. Can, can you just, can you give us that number, please? I mean, again, it's, but it's, it's scary that this is going on. Let's talk to um, David in Brookfield. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are Hi, Dave. David. I, I get these calls all the time in the last couple, three weeks, especially uh, uh, on both phones that I carry. I carry two cell phones, one constantly, three, four times a day. Yeah. And it's been about either my Amazon account oh. or my bank account or my Social Security <laughs> account. And the craziest part of it, Jeff, is that they're telling me that I'm going to be arrested, that there's a warrant for me because somebody hacked into my account. Yeah. And it's like, why would you arrest me then? Yeah. But, but I've actually pushed, I've pushed the number one to get their customer service to talk about it. And I've let them actually talk me to the point of trying to download an app. And I think that they want me to download this app so then they can hack into my accounts oh. the way they want to. Oh, so that's the way and it works. They, they, don't want, they don't want your credit card number. Yeah. Download the app. Oh, no. yeah. That, that, like, like what, what, yeah, gee, what could go wrong with that? Taking one of these scammers and giving them access to yeah. your computer. Wow. No, thanks. Exactly. Okay. No, thanks. Okay. Well, yeah. so that's how it plays out because I, I refuse to, I refuse to engage, but that, that's, all right, just just imagine that you call this, and he's getting the Amazon ones and the Social Security ones, like like I am. So, okay, if the goal is you talk to him here, download this app. This will clear this whole thing up. Good. Put that app on your computer, and then see what could possibly happen. It is. It's just exasperating that this stuff goes on. Bill in Portage. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bill. Yeah, I have a couple comments to make. First of all, back in. July of 1969, something really significant happened. We landed a man on the moon. <laughs> now, here we are in 2021. These illegal calls continue to happen. And why isn't the FCC doing something to stop them? I know they can. If we had the technology in 1969 to land a man on the moon, certainly now they can stop these calls. Why are they not doing it? Yeah, that's a very, Bill, that, that is a very, very good question. And this is an example where, and it happens a lot, where the, the general public is so far ahead of the political class, the government class, with regard to what needs to be done. And that's a great way to look at stuff right there. You know, in, in 1969, we put a man on the moon. And here we are, you know, 50 years, 50 plus years later, and you, you can't stop people from being terrorized and victimized and annoyed, you know, by the, these constant 
illegal solicitations, um, just rampant fraud. You're right. There has to be a better way. Maybe you could find some candidate who's really serious about this and really serious about you know running it through. But the bottom line is if you, like many of the people we've talked to, and me in the last 20 minutes are, are getting these these calls, whether it's Amazon or Apple. Here's Jeff. I'm getting many calls saying we're returning your call about Social Security disability insurance. Um, yes, I have a live person calling me about my Social Security several times. Finally, I answered it by saying, hello, Sheriff's Department. How can I help you? That ended the particular phone call. Um, Jeff, what happened to the no-call list? We had this under control a few years ago. Well, yeah, it, it's just completely unenforceable. Jeff, I always get a Social Security Administration call. They want them to give me my Social Security number. Um, shouldn't you have that if you're the Social Security Administration? Um, yes, yes, there, there is that. Jeff, I wonder if the increase is due to the drop of the stimulus checks this week. Um, could be. Yeah, a lot of people texting me that they're getting the Social Security calls as well. Jeff, I've had the same calls. One said they were Apple support, saying my account had been hacked. I looked up the actual actual the actual Apple support number in my records, and I called them. They told me that the calls I were receiving were phishing scams. That with a, that's PH, PH um, phishing scams, and um, noted the phone number and my complaint. Um, okay, so bottom line of all this is, if you get these calls. If you take nothing away from our conversation for the last 20 minutes, if you take nothing away from the program today or this week or the last month, when you get these calls, they are scams. Do not return them. Nothing good will happen. That's my public service announcement for the day. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, and, and by the way, there was an interesting conversation, I thought, for the last 20 minutes. It's just stuff like this irritates me. It, it's not political. doesn't matter right or left. But there are people out there that are trying to prey on the most vulnerable among us, and they're using the technology to do it. And the fact that we all keep getting these calls tells me that it, it must work enough to make it worthwhile. And, um, for example, our, our texter or caller who said, you know, why, why does this still go on? That, that's a very, very fair question because, you know, why, why should – when we have the technology to to stop people from being defrauded, why why don't we use it? Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. Posted a couple different things. John Kerry, remember John Kerry, the man who um, wanted to be the president of the United States. Um, he's he's Joe Biden's uh, he's Joe Biden's uh, climate envoy envoy. He's also um, John Kerry is rich beyond the dreams of avarice because he he's his wife is you know one of the heirs to the Heinz ketchup um, ketchup uh, fortune and stuff. So he he typically he's gotten in trouble before because he he flies across the world on private jets you know to to accept like environmental awards <laughs> things like that and it's always kind of one of these 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 huge ironies that's out there that here you know, we're we're trying to save the planet and here I'm going to fly my private jet to you know Sweden or Switzerland or, or whatever so anyhow this is a situation that they, he the other day he's on a flight now he's flying first class that's cool I I, I don't get to fly first class very often but that's kind of cool but now keep in mind we we've been told matter of fact the rules are the federal government says you have to wear masks on airplanes. Now, 
I don't know, some of the airlines, again, th- this whole follow the science thing, and I'm, I'm not saying take off the masks, but, you know, the airlines say, given that the f- air filtration they have and stuff, airlines are, are probably, you know, some of the safest places to be. But the rules are wear masks. Okay, so... Those of us, us little people, we, we wear masks. And again, it, it's not the end of the world, but I will say that if you're on, quite candidly, you know, if I'm on a, a two and a half or a three or a three and a half hour flight, one of the first things I want to do when I get off the plane and get out of the airport is I want to, once I get outside, I want to take the mask off. I mean, I leave the mask on. You, you do it. I understand rules are rules. I'm following the rules. But I understand it, it's just to have it on for hour after hour and not be able to take it off. It I find it to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I do it regardless. So anyhow, John carries on the, this flight. He's flying first class. He plops down in his seat and he starts reading a book. Well, Apparently, there's another passenger who recognizes that it's John Kerry, and he notices that there's something interesting about John Kerry, and that is that John Kerry has taken off his mask. So John Kerry, the, the mask is dangling down. He's got it around his left ear, but it's not on his right ear, and he's sitting there, and he's, he's, he's reading his book. And so the other passenger, you know, takes a picture of John Kerry sitting there reading his book. And then, of course, the story ends up going viral. I I have a link to the story and a picture of this. And, you know, Kerry's response after this gets public is, well, I I just it it must have been it it must have been there momentarily. Now, the person who posts this, well. I don't know. It depends on what your definition of momentarily is, because it was probably a good five to ten minutes that I was watching him and he had the mask off. But again, it's one of these situations and I'm not criticizing the mask rules, but these mask rules are for the little people. Um, you know, people like John Kerry. Well, let, let everybody wear let them eat cake. Let them wear their masks. You can check it out uh, on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> I think over time, my position on this has changed. And candidly, the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, I think I'd, I could see doing this permanently. Now, here's the story. For many of you, over the course of the last year, your work life has changed. Um, in, in some cases, people work in jobs where you, you don't have the option of working at home. But for many people, you, you do. Maybe you do a job where, again, you're, you're on the computer all day or, or you're making phone calls or you don't need to be involved in a situation where it's, it's personal acts in, interaction and you can do your job from home and you've been given your choice to do that. There's some very, very big companies in downtown Milwaukee, for example, that, that shut down the offices last March and employees have not come back. There's lots of vacant office space in downtown Milwaukee because uh, the employees haven't come back and the companies have not suffered from it. Ford, here's the story in the Washington Post. Ford Motor Company says it will begin phasing in a new remote office work model, one of the first in the auto industry, that will give up to 30,000 employees, 30,000, the option to continue doing their jobs from home indefinitely. Um, so they, they announced this yesterday. And again, Ford, Ford sent their workers home. The, the, we're talking mostly the white collar sort of workers. You know, obviously the guys that, the guys and gals that are on the assembly line putting the cars together, they need to be there. But they said that, uh, this policy is going to apply to all non-place dependent workers. 
Um, starting in July, Ford employees will be able to return to the office for assignments that require face-to-face interaction, like group projects and meetings, but they'll also be able to remain home for more independent work. Some 30,000 employees in North America will have the option to stick with remote work with flexible hours approved by their managers. So they they might get called in. It might be, hey, we're, we're having this group meeting. You've got to come in for it. But by and large... They're, they're going to be able to work out of their home. What Ford says is the nature of the work drives whether or not you can adapt to this model. There are some jobs that are place-dependent. You need to be in the physical space to do your job. However, having the flexibility to choose how you work is pretty powerful. It's up to the employee to determine what works best. Ford says that they have been monitoring how employees fare with remote work for more than six months. They did surveys, etc., etc., and what they found is that 95% of their global employees would prefer a mix of in-person and remote work after the pandemic, and that many of them felt more productive and were happier working from home. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let's, let's tee this up. And again, there are some jobs, I get it, that are place-dependent. You know, if you're a cashier in a grocery store or you're you're a stocker at Walmart or whatever, or you're the guy that does installations of HVAC, I mean, right, obviously you don't have the work-at-home option. But if you're in one of those industries where th- that's it, maybe you're, you're, you're processing – you're processing disability claims for an insurance company or, again, whatever. You're, you're doing hospital coding, a job where you can do it from home. If you were given the option to continue doing that from home, would you take that option up? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I think what you're seeing with Ford is this is, I think this is going to be the tip of the iceberg. And I think moving forward, there's going to be more and more companies that do exactly what this is, giving people the option to, to stay home. Now, at our company, for example, I know the goal is ultimately to get people you know, back in place. But as other than the on-air people and the producers and things like that, essentially all, all our support staff, all the support staff, all the, the marketing consultants and the, the people that range, schedule the commercials and all those types of things, they've been working at home for the better part of the last year year. Now, I understand that the ultimate goal is to, you know, bring everybody back together in person, but just in, in our industry, things have things have been able to work. I mean, they, they've done their jobs. You know, we, we've got everything scheduled. People down, have it down as a, that they know how to do it. In the case of even the on-air people, over the course of the last year, I, I've, I've had three sections of time where I've, I've done my show from home you know they I, I have this they give me this like little kit you plug it in the technology is stuff that from a sound perspective you really can't tell the difference whether i'm in my home office or whether i'm here in the studio and i mean i've there, there's been three sections of time when covid first broke and then um when i had covid in november and you know about a month or two ago when i fell down the stairs and you know sprained my foot and you know, I, I was working from home and my guess is that unless you really knew or listened closely, most people couldn't tell. So 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you were given the option to just continue to work at home, would you do that? You know, for me, if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said, no, I want to come into the studio every day. Now, I think if you asked me, I'd say, well, I, I'd, I'd like the I'd like the option to do that. I There's advantages to coming into work, and there's advantages to seeing people and interacting. But, you know, I, I could... 
if if I did that, if I stayed at home two weeks out of four or three weeks out of four, I think I could get used to that. And in situations, there'd also like right now, my wife is out of town, so I, I've got full dog care responsibilities. And I would would I prefer to be at home so I'm closer to take care of the dog? Yeah, I I would do that. My guess is for a lot of you, you'd rather be at home. 855-616-1620. Will more companies follow the Ford model? And would you like to see, in your case, that Ford model be adopted at your place of work? Would it work? We discuss in just a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Outdoor Living Unlimited. They're located in Waukesha at 665 Larry Court, or you can find them online at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. That's Outdoor Living Unlimited, taking your outdoors to a higher level. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, do the benefits of working from home outweigh the added cost to the employee? Since they're using their home as a workspace, now they're having to use the the water and electricity more, heat and cool the house more. The employers should post their savings onto the employees' raises. Well, okay, the flip side of that is I, I think for most people it's a lot cheaper to work at home. Why? Because you're, you're, you don't have those commuting costs. I mean, you don't, it's not the wear and tear. I remember, I remember when we were, when I was broadcasting last spring from, from my home. I mean, it, it's amazing how, how far a tank of gas would go because, you know, now part of it is because of COVID, people weren't going out, but you know, you're, you're, you're not driving to work. You're not driving to and from work. You're not, you know, if for people who have to pay to park, you're not paying to park. No, I, I think actually from a financial perspective, it probably is a, a blessing for a lot of people. Um, Jeff, I think companies will follow as it certainly has to be cheaper to have employees work from home and not pay for office space. Well, that's, you know, that's the big thing. I mean, if you're if you're Northwestern Mutual, for example, and, you know, downtown, you've got that huge you know, new office building and you've got all your people that are are at home or a large chunk of them that are home. I'm not sure you're ever going to see them bring everybody back. Anyways, the texture continues. I, to pref- I prefer to work from an office setting as I want my home to be the space where I don't have to think about work. Work is work. Home is home for me. And I think maybe it depends on I understand that it, it depends maybe on your home situation. If you have a if if you're working at, at a kitchen table and, and that's then that becomes your space. That's fine. If, on the other hand, you're you're fortunate enough. I mean, I have an office in my house. I, I have a, a spare bedroom. It's, it's my office. And so it, it's no big deal. It's where I work preparing for the show. I've got the computers that are up there. It's it's not really that much more trouble to take this this kit that we plug in and I, I plug it in and I put it on the floor and I've got the headset. So for me, it's not that pro- much of a problem. Jeff, I would absolutely work from home. I absolutely love it. Jeff, um, work from home um, flexibility is a requirement um, in IT at this point. Jeff, my sister works for Ford Credit and has been working from home. She normally would do dealer visits and really misses them because that connection is invaluable. Plus, she has two kids that uh, she's now stuck with at home, laugh out loud. Well, I, I mean, I do think that, that there is a, a personal connection. And again, it kind of depends on, on the business. I know, for example, if you're, let's say your business is sales, doesn't matter what it is. You know, you some of that, some of the sales work, and you, you can do over the telephone, you can do through Zoom meetings. But I think any good salesperson will tell you that there, there's nothing, that there, there's nothing that, 
that, that tops that in-person connection. So there, there maybe you, you have the hybrid of thing. Yeah, you, you go out, you make sales calls. You know, you're, you're out there, you're still interacting with the clients and stuff like that, but you, you're, you're not based necessarily out of the, the bullpen, you know, where those salespeople are. You're based out of your, um, home. Um, let's see. Jeff, before COVID hit, a lot of companies seem to be bringing back employees into their buildings because they were finding a lack of production and missing out on the creativity of in-person collaboration. This may work temporarily because employees are demanding it, but over the long haul, I'm thinking they're going to want people back in their buildings to be able to monitor what really goes on. And again, I, I think there's probably an element to that. It depends on the nature of the business. But I mean, if you're, for example, in IT, if your job is coding, well, okay, you, you, these are the assignments that you have. This is the work that's expected, and you can tell whether you know people are doing that. I do agree and acknowledge that there is this creativity factor that, that you, you miss when you're working at home in that you know you, you don't get to bounce ideas off of your, your coworkers and things like that. And, and there, there is definitely a value to that. I guess the question is, can you have the the best of both worlds? Jeff, I work for a financial institution. We started working from home one year ago. I love it. And yes, um, if I could, I would continue to work for home, from home. I feel I am more productive. Jeff, one of my coworkers is editing uh, the local newspaper, the Journal Sentinel from Florida. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I can... I can understand that. I mean, so uh, let, you're you're a newspaper editor, you're a copy editor, or whatever. Okay, well, I mean, you're you're doing your work on the computer, anyways. You know, the the reporter is going to send you a draft of his or her story, and then what you're going to do is you're going to sit at your computer and you're going to edit it, and then you're going to pass it on. However, they produce the paper nowadays, you're you're going to pass it on. But you know, your does it matter if you're sitting there working at a computer? Does it matter whether you're working? You know, at that computer in Miami Beach, Florida, or whether you're working, you know, downtown in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The answer would be in a case like that, no. And if you've got questions and you want to discuss the things and you want to talk to the reporter about why did you put this in or why did you take that out or I think you need to do this, it's no problem. You're either on a Zoom call or, you know, you're on the phone or you're going back and forth via email. I think there's all the potential for that. Um, Jeff, I work for a large company in the area, predominantly manufacturing, but 3,000-plus administration-type employees moved, moved to remote on March 16th of last year. We were just told this week that we will remain at home now until Labor Day at least. Our surveys are much like Ford. 60% do not want to go back. 30% like the hybrid type, 10% want to go back. We are hearing that our desks will become hotel-type space for special projects, etc. We have found most employees and teams have become more productive over the past year. Interesting. Jeff, I've worked in the same job in an office for years, and now for the past five, I've worked from home. It's harder to collaborate when you're working on a project as a team when you're at home. But if you're disciplined, you can be productive. One thing people aren't talking about is the company's also mitigating sexual harassment situations by separating their employees. And I think in today's world, that's a pretty big deal. Um, Jeff, my heating electric bill was up 12% from last year. Yes, my wife was working at home where I would normally turn it down to 60 at 6 a.m. Um, yeah, okay. Um, I did save some minimal gas and mileage, but I still think it costs more. Well, okay. Jeff, if you worked from home, you could wear a different Jimmy Buffett shirt every day and no one would know. 
Well, yes, exactly. But the truth is, I could wear a Jimmy. I could come in here wearing my Jimmy Buffett shirts, and no one would care. I think that would be the. That's the. That's one of the beauty of radio. Jeff, studies have shown people are more productive working from home. Hey, Jeff, does this mean you're going to be broadcasting from Key West next winter? No, uh, I guarantee. I don't know where I'm going to be broadcasting from next winter, but I guarantee you, it's not going to be Key West because my liver could not take Key West. <laughs> my liver could take Key West for about two or three days. My liver could not take Key West permanently. In any event, this is, of course, the wave of, of the future. And I think a lot of you have experienced this. And I, I just I just don't know where how. I, but it, to me, it raises so many different interesting questions because th- this affects our urban areas. It, it's more than just, you know, will, will your employer let you, will my employer let me work from home if, if we choose to? But it, it's all the impacts. I mean, again, think about what goes on in downtown. You, you have all these other businesses that are opened up, they're downtown to support the people who, who work downtown. You know, if I'm, if I, um, I run a convenience store or I run a, a restaurant that depends, that's, that's two blocks away from, you know, Northwestern Mutual and a couple of the other buildings that are down there. And my business depends on, you know, lunch trade, for example. That, that's where I make my money. People, you know, coming in running you know in and going out to lunch and okay well if those people aren't working at those buildings well my my business that's built around you know lunch trade isn't going to survive and if people aren't coming downtown to work okay you know where how am i going to attract people to come there and, and and these are all the challenges that's why so many so many big cities in many respects are are ghost towns and it, it's not just because you know people are concerned about the pandemic and it, it's it's because the natural attractions of the workplace that brings people down that, that people aren't in those workplaces anymore and so they're not around to support those businesses that's that's the big long range impact of this beyond just you know whether you get to stay home but i i do think what ford's doing is kind of the kind of the wave of the future back with more in just a minute and this is jeff wagner i i have a interesting email from um one of our listeners, uh, Jeff, what, what we're missing in the discussion is we're talking about whether you, you can work remotely. The quick drive-by meetings where we catch a detail or follow up informally or casually. The cultural human connection. Great teams have a shared sense of purpose and mission. It's harder but not impossible to do virtually. And, and that's fair. I mean, it's, I mean, it's no question. That, you know, you have a situation, I'm just thinking about what I do for a living, where, you know, the program director pops his head in during a break and says, hey, I really like the way you approach that topic, or what the heck were you thinking? Why did you do it that way? Or or whatever. And it's and, and yes, you could do that in the course of a, of a Zoom meeting or a phone call or emails and stuff, but you do miss that that interaction that, that you have, or, or, or again, getting the, the shared ideas, just you know, sitting there talking to the person you know next to you, or that informal stuff. I guess that's kind of where the balancing is. But a lot of companies are simply saying, you know, we employees want to work at home, and we don't think that there's that much of a downside to doing it, I think it's going to be a trend, but it's certainly not going to be something embraced by everyone in every industry. Okay, when we come back, we're going to switch gears. I've got a couple car-related topics, and they're going to be interesting, and they're going to be fun. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I would hope, Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, this is an idea that makes sense to me. It is a nonpartisan sort of idea, but I want to discuss it for one segment of the program. And Melissa was talking about this a little bit earlier. Right now, in Wisconsin, Bill, bars and restaurants that, that have Class B liquor licenses, they are allowed to sell drinks to go, but only if the drinks are in their original packaging. That means they could sell a bottle of wine to go, but not a glass of wine to go. What this law, this bill that is moving its way through the state legislature would do, it would allow bars and restaurants to sell wine and mixed drinks to go. I think it's a good idea. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let, let's tee this up. Now, I, I, I had this experience actually y- yesterday. So my wife is out of town, St. Patrick's Day. I went over to one of my favorite restaurants, um, and I, I wanted to get a Reuben sandwich. You know, it's St. Patrick's Day and stuff like that. But I also I wanted to get home and take care of the dog. So instead of eating it, eating it at the bar or something in my favorite restaurant, I just I ordered it, it to go. Now, the bartender, Connor, makes a really, really mean old-fashioned. And I would have loved to have, if if they would have been able to do this, I could have ordered the old-fashioned. They would have had to, they could put it in a, in a drink cup. You know, it has to have a tamper-proof container. And I could have gotten my corned beef, gotten my Reuben sandwich, and, and along with the old fashioned or the Manhattan or whatever it would be, and I could have taken it home and I could have sat at the table or sat, you know, in, in front of the TV set and I could have eaten it and I could have had the drink. Now, it, it's true. I can, you know, I, I can make that drink at home if I want, but I can't make it as good as Connor the bartender can. So I, I would have been able to do that, but I can't because of the law. They could sell me a bottle of wine. Um, they could sell me, you know, a bottle of bourbon as long as it was, again, sealed, but they, they couldn't sell me the, the drink that they had made. This law would allow bars and restaurants to do that. You could make the, the drinks, and along with the carryout, you could get it to go. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think... This would be, number one, a convenience to consumers to do that, as more and more of us have gone the takeout route. Secondly, it would be a godsend to restaurants and bars that have been absolutely crippled over the last year by, um, again, either shut down by COVID or by the space limitations of, of COVID. And let's face it. Bars and restaurants, where where many of them make their money, the markup is on alcohol, right? Yes, yes you, you can make some money selling that Reuben sandwich, but you make a lot more money, you know, selling the drinks. So I cannot, for the life of me, come up with some valid reason why we don't allow people to buy drinks to go. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some people might say, well, this is going to increase drunken driving. Well, wait a second. I mean, I can go to I can go to the grocery store, for example, and I can buy a six pack of beer and I can take it out to my car and I can open up one of the bottles of beer 
or one of the cans of beer. And if I want to drink while I'm driving and take that risk, I, I, I've got it there. Um, in, in many liquor stores, you, you have the, the individual. Now, one of the big things is they have the individual um, bottles of margarita mix or, you know, all the different drinks that are there. You, you could, if the concern was, oh, gee, people are going to, this is going to lead to increased drinking and driving. Well, you could do that now. I mean, I don't see that many examples of people that are going to Sendex or Pick and Save or whatever, you know, and buying the, the six-pack of the, again, the margaritas, and then popping the top on one of them before they end up getting home. My point is, if you want to drink while you drive, there are enough options to do that that, gee, I'm... If you know the, if you know the, you either follow the rules or you don't. And if you decide that, you know, you want to drink while you drive and take that risk, there's all sorts of ways that you can do that now. I don't see it dramatically increasing the risk if you go and again, it's Friday night. You're, you're picking up the fish fry and you decide, hey, um, you know, my wife and I like the old fashions that, that get made at this place. So what we're going to do is we're going to order a couple old fashions and, you know, we're going to take them along with the fish fry and we're going to go back and enjoy them. Why shouldn't? Is there any real reason why we shouldn't allow people to do that? And my answer would be no. 855-616-1620. And if we wanted to do something meaningful to help the restaurants and bars that have been struggling, this is something that, that would do it. I don't know how much it's going to increase their business. But, yeah, I, like I say, last night, if I had the option of, in addition to getting the Reuben sandwich, if I could have gotten a drink to go, I would have gotten a drink to go. All right, let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. To elaborate on some of what you said, um, I think this could actually help drinking and driving issues. For example, I not long ago got some Dunkel to go in a growler. And right. for me, that those kinds of beers can really creep up can really creep up on me and it was good that i brought it back to my apartment and drank it probably more than i should have um you know and got tipsy in my apartment as opposed to the restaurant where i you know could have gotten drunk and drunk and drink and drive and cause trouble yeah well well you know you make a good point that's right you can go into brew pubs you can go into places all along around here and you can get the you can get growlers whether you're 32 64 ounces whatever it is and you know if you if if on the way home you can't resist temptation you can pop the top on that and you could be sipping on it now you don't and most people don't but how is that any more of a risk than you know the the person that's that's taking the manhattans or home or something no i'm i'm with you no thank thanks for calling i i 855-616-1620 that's the i can mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I think it's a great idea. There's a restaurant in Pewaukee that you can get your margarita mixed up and put in a to-go bottle. It makes money for the business and it's easier for the consumer that doesn't have to buy the supplies at home to make it. Um, Jeff, what about the company that sells the to-go sealed containers? Um, that stock is going to be, you know, uh, that stock is going to be an, an upcoming hit. Well, yeah, and again, I, it, it's not like if you want to buy a roadie, it's not like you can't buy a roadie. Like I say, you, you go into any grocery store and you, you buy one of those pre-mixed things. Or you go into a liquor store and you you know, you know you buy the, the little airplane bottles or whatever there is. I mean, the opportunity is out there to do it now. I think I'd rather have it in a controlled setting. And let's also be realistic about this, right? I mean, most people... 
most people are going to buy a, a drink or two drinks. It's going to be, gee, I really like the way Connor makes old fashioned. So we, we, we bought the fish fry and I'm, I'm getting one for me and one for my wife. My wife doesn't drink old fashions, but you understand the example. It's, it's not going to be, gee, I, I, I want, you know, I want a dozen Bloody Marys to go. <laughs> that's, that's not going to be the way as a general rule, most people consume things. And if it is, you know, maybe that's one where the bartender says, well, what do you mean you want a, a dozen to go? Jeff, I just moved from Colorado. They have been doing this since last year. I cannot believe how long it is taking Wisconsin to be um, to show some initiative and innovation about keeping businesses afloat. Um, yeah, that's that's it. Jeff, as a former law enforcement concern, officer, the only concern I have is if, if it significantly blurs the lines on open containers and it makes it more difficult to clearly define what that is. Well, my understanding is the law says that, you know, it, it has to be a, a tamp sealed and a tamper proof in a tamper proof container. Now, again, I, I, I don't know specifically what it is that that means, but it, it, this, this is just something that makes sense to me. And will, will there be somebody somewhere that abuses this? And, and, and yes, but this is, this is kind of like the debate we had a couple of years ago, in my opinion, about concealed carry. And, and I was, you know, we were in Wisconsin, we were the second last state in the country to adopt some form of concealed carry. And we'd have all these conversations and people would say, Jeff, well, you have to understand this is going to be like the wild, wild west. And if you let people carry firearms in a concealed fashion, they're going to be shooting up places and it's going to be just absolute carnage. And, and my response at the time was, no, that, that's not going to happen. Why do you think people in Wisconsin are particularly more bloodthirsty than people in the other 48 states? And we went to concealed carry and we don't have those sort of problems, which isn't the to say that there's not a unicorn from time to time that pops up, that you don't have some concealed carry holder that is involved in a shooting that, you know, ends up being an improper use of that. But but that's that's the that's the rarity. That is that is the exception. And I'm willing to concede that, you know, if you do this sometime somewhere, there will be undoubtedly be somebody who buys a handful of these to-go drinks and on their way home or whatever, pounds them down and runs through a red light. I'm willing to concede that, but that's going to be the one in a million. That's going to be the one in two million, and that, to me, is not a justification for not doing it. Lee on the south side. Lee, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I'm, as a young, as a woman, a single woman, I think it would be nice to be able to take a drink home once in a while. I don't have alcohol at home, mm-hmm. but every once in a while, if you're getting a nice meal, you'd want something, and you don't want to go sit in bars to have to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right, I- exactly. So if you, well, okay, what's your drink of choice, Lee? Um, probably a brandy old-fashioned. Okay, good, good example there. So, right, you, you know, you, you don't. You, you want to have a brandy old fashioned with the meal and stuff. You're getting the meal for takeout. You, you don't have the stuff at home to make the brandy, you know, to, to make the brandy old fashioned. No, so, I don't keep any of that at home. Yeah. So, so why shouldn't you in a filled container be able with your meal to take it home? Right. It, see, that's it, Lee. You make sense. See, this is one that just makes sense. And people come up with these ideas, well, this this could be the worst thing that happens. But my guess is the bigger cause of drunk driving is the people that sit at the bar and pound back too many um, and then get behind the wheel of the car, not you ordering your one brandy old-fashioned to go. That's right, you know. I feel safer that way, and I could enjoy it more. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks to call. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's it. And, again, 
you if you can if you can go into a grocery store or a liquor store and, and buy you know a fifth of hard liquor and you know take it take it home and we, we don't say well you can't you can't buy that fifth because on the way home you might reach into the bag you might you know open the un- unscrew the top and you know and, and drink out of the bottle we, we don't say that you can't do that but but yet if, if you want to drink while you drive th- there's all these other options to do it let's give the restaurants a break is that too much to ask for Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. The the more you hear about the story of this Milwaukee County judge who has been arrested and charged in connection with possession of child porn, his name is Brett Blom, the the more aggravating it gets. And, and, And see, this is something that was completely and totally predictable. And as I said yesterday, and I repeat this, shame on Milwaukee County voters because this... This is a situation that, that should not have been happened. Now, I understand Milwaukee County voters, when they elected this guy last April, did not know that he was, at least now allegedly, you know, you know, in possession of, of child pornography. But, but, but here's, here's the deal. This was a guy that was, in my opinion, completely and totally unqualified in the first place. Very little legal experience in Milwaukee County. He lives in Cottage Grove, which is outside of Madison, where he lives with his husband and and their, their two kids. He's the first openly gay person to run for judge in the county, and the way the Journal Sentinel describes it correctly, he rode the movement to diversify the circuit court to victory. He, he ran as, I'm the first openly gay candidate. He was a guy that, that, for all intents and purposes, and this came out before the election, didn't live, didn't live in Milwaukee County. Now, he had a house or a residence, but that was essentially not that much more than a mail drop. He, he lives in Cottage Grove, which is where I think he, he's out on bail now. He, that, that's where he, he's going to be. That's his house. So you got a Milwaukee County judge that lives in Cottage Grove, had, you know, questionable qualifications, but the big things he had going for him was, again, he, he made a big deal of the fact that I mean, he was going to be, you know, first. This is the first openly gay, you know, judge in Milwaukee County. And Scott Walker had appointed his opponent, who was a law and order judge. So you had, had, in addition, we need to diversify the the bench, which isn't in and of itself a a bad thing. But we're going to diversify the bench with a guy who, for in, in reality, lives in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin, and... And ran on a platform of, of essentially, I want to be the progressive alternative, which in other words is, I, I want to turn people loose. I, I don't like all this law and order stuff and this lock em up stuff. So you had a, a solid conservative judge who was appointed by Scott Walker. The idea was the Milwaukee County voters, and that's why I said yesterday, have, have a hissy fit. It's like, okay, well, we're, we're going to vote out anybody that Walker put on the bench, and we're going to elect whoever's running against him. And if, again, identity politics play in, that's all the better. And and then this is the type of stuff that ends up happening. A guy who just wasn't from here, for all intents and purposes in reality, didn't live here, um, had questionable qualifications, and certainly admittedly wasn't anywhere near as much of a law and order judge, and he ends up getting elected. And again, I appreciate that nobody knew that this type of thing was going to happen. But once again, it shows it shows how the electorate can get hoodwinked, and you get some of this like wave elections. And I, again, I appreciate you. You want to you want diverse voices on the bench, and you want people from all sorts of different backgrounds, and and that's that's all well and good. 
But when that ends up trumping a lot of, of other stuff, Trump, no pun intended in this regard, or this backlash, oh, we don't want to elect somebody that Scott Walker appointed. Because generally speaking, you know, when circuit judges get appointed, they, they almost always win, unless it's Milwaukee County and it's a Scott Walker appointee. And then you end up saying, gee, how, how did this guy get on the bench? Well, you know how he got on on the bench, and now I, I assume, again, he's innocent until proven guilty, but as I said yesterday, my guess is that you would not have gotten this far with this case unless the authorities were really, really confident that this was, from a legal perspective, a, a dead-bang winner. You know, I, I just I can't imagine the attorney general signing off on it if it wasn't. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. But it's, it's one of these head-scratching things, and maybe it shows that, you know, next time there's a judicial election, you, you need to concentrate more on the relative qualifications of the various candidates than just, oh, this guy was appointed by Walker, so let's throw him out. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what Melissa and John and Greg have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.